You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds, this is Sarah and Casey with What the History podcast. We are back for another episode today. Um, we wanted to start out by saying thank you. We actually just reached 500 downloads of the show Woo! so far. So we wanted to say thank you guys for that before we, we get into today's topic. And so for today, I actually will quickly tell you how we ended up on this topic, which is that yes. my, my work uh, has gone fully remote since there's been a pandemic. And so in an effort to keep us all friendly, we have a trivia session. And I was on this trivia session and guessed an answer and got it right and was really proud of myself. And and the question was, what year did Chernobyl take place? And I just randomly picked 1986, and it was correct. And so then when Casey and I were like, hey, what should we do this week? I was like, Chernobyl, because I clearly know everything about it. Like, I'm an expert, because I got this one trivia question right. I love how the year, like, you got the year right when I straight up thought Chernobyl happened in, like, the 70s. I mean, So I when you 80s. said 1986, I was like, oh shit was it really that soon ago like i don't know how else to say that i feel like the 80s feel much more recent than the 70s yes which is kind of weird because that's only a decade apart yeah i I totally agree 80 like 86 is like i knew people who were being born whereas like in the 70s it's like my mom knows people who were born (laughs) you know what i mean it's like a different i don't know i can't explain it it sounds really stupid especially because i teach history but like i straight up was like wow that was really recent even though it really kind of wasn't and everyone's old yeah so yeah yeah. so i didn't know out full disclosure as you can probably guess i knew zero things about chernobyl i was like oh yeah that's what the radioactive dogs like that's pretty much the extent of the information that i knew about this specific place um so this was like a real learning experience for me um i do also want to apologize ahead of time because you will hear me talk about science and i'll tell you right now i am not a scientist in any capacity i had to pretty much google the pronunciation for i'd say about like 95 percent of the words that i encountered in this research well, um the science words and all the russian names oh my god yeah i'd like a pass because my family is all like from the ukraine oh so wait but so you should be fine pronouncing this no i'm not at all i can't even say like the long form of my last name that got changed at ellis island i'm useless but I oh my like god that's so funny but it's not like anti-russian i'm russian let me have it <laughs> Yeah, no, I I literally, uh, I'm not even close to, even when I have to do this stuff in front of my students, it takes yeah. me, like, I, like, practice for an hour beforehand, and, like, fortunately, yeah. since, like, you know, people are electing to listen to this, whereas my kids have to listen to it, I'm just gonna, like, hope for the best, um, and hope I don't, like, butcher the names of these places either. I do know Gorbachev, uh, yeah. so I'm proud of that one. That's uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, so... Props for me. I know Vladimir Putin. Yep. Yep. Current president of the United States. Mm, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He 100%. <laughs> I literally was like, wait, that's not true. And then I was like, oh, wait, never mind. It's true enough. <laughs> I forgot like what we were talking about for a second. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. All right. So Chernobyl. 
So Chernobyl is a nuclear power plant that was the site of a disastrous accident um, in April of 1986. So Chernobyl is located in uh, Ukraine. I feel like there was a point where it was called the Ukraine. Yeah, I always say the Ukraine. So I don't know if I'm totally like aging myself here and no one (laughs) or everyone I know that's listening to this is going to know what I'm talking about. Do you remember the show Global Guts on Nickelodeon? Yes. So it was like you'd have these like like teenagers or like really early 20s folks like from all these different countries and they would be like competing in these like challenges and they'd have to like climb the crag and like for some reason and then they like run with the flag like attached to their back like a cape. Yes. So the only reason I'm bringing this up is because the entire time I was reading, you're probably like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, there was always some kid blonde hair blue-eyed like like amazing almost like robot person from the ukraine they like introduce themselves and they'd be like i'm anastasia from the ukraine and like everyone would be like oh this girl's gonna win because she's like jacked as shit and she's like super (laughs) hardcore but they always said the ukraine and that's i think why i always have the habit of being like the ukraine So I did a really quick Google, and what I've learned is that before the Ukraine, the Ukraine, whatever, gained independence in 1991, (laughs) it was like a republic of the Soviet Union, so it was known as Ukraine. But after that, it should be Ukraine. But I bet Ukraine. when you were watching that in the 90s, those kids probably were born before independence. Yeah. And so they were used to calling it the Ukraine. Wait, that's actually such a great point. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Because I mean, yeah. I was watching that shit in like 96, 97. And like they were always recorded ahead of time. So yeah, they probably were 100% born in the 70s and 80s and were doing their thing. And they understood it and they had learned it in school as the Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. I feel validated now. Yeah, I'm probably okay. going to say the Ukraine, let's be honest. But All right, great. So I might slip it in a couple times, but whew. all right. So Chernobyl, like I said, was a nuclear power plant, is a nuclear power plant in Ukraine. And in 1986, there was a huge nuclear disaster, which is obviously what it's most known for. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So the disaster occurred when they were completing a routine test at the power plant and the test went horribly wrong. And we're going to get into that explanation in a bit. And there there basically these two massive explosions that blew the roof off of one of the plant's reactors, reactor four, and 400 times more radiation than the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, was emitted into the atmosphere. So it was the worst nuclear disaster in history. Two workers were killed in the explosions pretty much immediately. And within weeks, and in some cases months, at least 28 to 29 more would be dead because of the radiation exposure that they encountered when they were fighting off the aftermath of the disaster. Uh, the disaster is also pretty big too, because this is towards the end of the Cold War. So the Soviet Union is officially going to collapse in 1990, 1991-ish. And actually, I thought it was interesting because the Soviet leader at the time, Mikhail Gorbachev, the one name I know how to say, he actually later says that the Chernobyl meltdown was really the beginning of the end for the Soviet Union, which I thought was pretty crazy because he had put into effect all of these reforms called perestroika, which were a lot more free thought and a lot more anti-like traditional Soviet Union. So 
the fact that he says that the legislation that he enacted in Perestroika wasn't even as impactful in the collapse as this nuclear disaster was, I thought that was a pretty big and kind of interesting fact about just how much this actually impacted the USSR. So Chernobyl is located in northern Ukraine, about 80 miles north of Kiev, which is the capital. Uh, It's also along the Belarusian border. So for those of you who are like, where the fuck is Belarus? It's right above, (laughs) it's right above Ukraine. And for those of you who are like, where the fuck is Ukraine? Just Google it. You'll see it and you'll be like, oh, okay, I know about this place now. (laughs) It's actually a lot more centrally located than a lot of people realize, at least in terms of, I think the, not the United States, uh, of Europe, because it starts to get on the end of the USSR of the Soviet Union. So it was a little bit closer to what Winston Churchill would have called like the Iron Curtain, but basically it was one of the closer countries to the divide between communist and like Western ideology in Europe in the time period following World War II. Um, And if you still have no idea what I'm talking about, seriously, just Google it. Um, (laughs) So a small town called Priapet, I think I'm saying that right. I actually wrote a pronunciation somewhere and I totally lost it in my notes. So we're going to call it Priapet was constructed just a few miles from the site of the nuclear plant in order to accommodate all of the workers and their families. And it was named after the river that ran nearby. Eventually, the small town grows into a city um, and the construction of the Chernobyl plant begins in 1977 when the country was still a part of the Soviet Union. So by 1983, four of the reactors had been completed with the plans of adding more. They actually were going to add two more reactors in the following years, but obviously that's going to not happen after what happens in 1986. And the town, like I said, becomes a bustling city and it starts to develop into a place where the Soviets start to use it as like, here's our dream city. And I kept seeing that a lot of places. So it was the model of what the Soviets wanted to have when they were creating these sort of nuclear power plants throughout their, you know, controlled territories, the types of living space available and the types of education kids were receiving, just the whole structure of it. If you look at pictures of it, it looks very Soviet. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's very much, uh, I'm going to be a loser for a second. Um, in Avengers age of Ultron, when, (laughs) when they go, where the hell are they? What is that place called? I don't know, but I know what you mean. Uh, Sokovia. (laughs) Sokovia. I hate myself for knowing all of this. So when they go to Sokovia, it's very much like high rise towers that all look the exact same and everything is pretty uniform and it doesn't really look like anybody lives better than anyone else. That's pretty much how Chernobyl's town Priapet was set up. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like industrial. Yeah. Yeah. But there were also like accommodations. So I actually looked it up to see like what it kind of looked like town wise. So there were 15 kindergartens and elementary schools uh, for the 4,900 or so children, five secondary schools for the 6,700 children uh, who were there at the time. The population was about 49,400 people before the disaster. And some estimates have that even higher at like 50,000. There was one hospital that could accommodate 410 patients and three health clinics. And that's actually a huge sign of Soviet, like just power and structure because there was a lot less focus on healthcare and those type of infrastructure than a lot of other things. You had 25 stores and malls, 27 cafes, 10 warehouses. Uh, There were three cultural facilities, which was a culture palace, uh, which was called the Palace of Culture Energetic, 
with a K. Uh, there was a Energetic. cinema. Energetic. Yes. And then a movie theater. So if you don't know what a cinema is, listeners, that's a movie theater. That's when you used to go sit in a dark room with strangers and it kind of smelled like feet and popcorn. And then you would watch previews for six hours and then you'd watch a movie that was like probably just okay for two. It was great. Um, and now we just do it in our homes. <laughs> There were also, let's see, eight different societies, a school of the arts, 10 gyms, 10 shooting galleries, three indoor swimming pools, two stadiums, a park, a playground. There was also a um, an amusement park that had just been set up and it was pretty much like an ideal place to live. So the town itself existed just to house the workers for the plant. Um, and then that was pretty much how a lot of towns and villages and cities built up in the Soviet Union at the time. So I say all of this because... Because on the night of April 25th and the early morning hours of April 26th, everything's going to change for the people living in that pretty simple and pretty well-kept city. So on April 25th, in the early morning hours of April 26th, like I said, the plant and its workers were conducting a routine exercise. And their routine exercise was just to test whether or not an emergency water cooling system would work if the power went out. So the point of the nuclear power plant was to produce energy for pretty much the entire country of Ukraine. I think I read somewhere that Chernobyl was producing 10% of the energy for Ukraine. Okay. I believe which it. is um which is pretty significant. But yeah. that's why they were adding so many more reactors to it. But the issue was, so a lot of things kept going wrong on the night of the 25th into the morning of the 26th because people were not well prepared for situations. The staff they actually had on at the time that the incident occurred was not as well trained. And so they were just sort of supposed to man the plant overnight. But at the same time, they were also expected to run some of the tests that they didn't really know everything about, which is why there's going to be such a problem. It's kind of, this actually made me think of when we did the Titanic, you know, how we talked talked about how there were all of these things that went wrong in this very short amount of time. That's kind of what this was. Okay, so here is the part where I get to talk about science. So so if you're like, F this, I'm out. (laughs) You can freeze out, I guess. Um, Okay, so on the day before the disaster, April 25th, the workers had spent the day preparing for a safety test for Reactor 4. At 1 a.m. on the 25th, they started to reduce power testing to see if it was able to produce enough energy if the power failed. Later that afternoon, around 2 p.m., they disabled the reactor's emergency core cooling system, which limited its interference with the safety test. So basically, they were trying to run a safety test about cooling the core reactor. So what they did was they had to basically shut the safety emergency protocol down. So by 11.10 p.m., the more inexperienced operators of the reactor were on shift, ready to go, and they were told to keep going with the planned safety test and shut down. So the goal of the entire test was just to see if the power generated from the steam turbines could be transferred to backup generators in case of a power outage. So what I'm trying to, my translation is, they basically were using water as a coolant in order to like cool the system down. Right. And basically when the flow of water coolant decreased and the steam turbine slowed down, all of the data that they were running and from the test showed that the reactor's energy output would still rise. Like it would still be able to produce energy. So the next step of that was to then insert these rods that were made of a material called boron carbide. And again, if I'm saying this wrong, like email us please. Cause like 
I'd love to hear a scientific person explain this to a non-scientific yeah. person. We do not know. We don't know. We don't know. We're trying our best. Um, I'm like, just power through this case. You got this. <laughs> and so the reactor core basically was supposed to reduce the output so it didn't overwhelm the system and then cause an explosion. But, and this is where we run into a really big problem, the control rods that were supposed to be like inserted into it had graphite tips as opposed to the boron carbide. The boron carbide, from what I understand, was further down inside the rod, which means that it had to be like inserted further in and it wouldn't cause the like immediate reaction that it needed to. So basically the personnel didn't know this. The people who were in control of putting the rods into place did not know that it didn't have the necessary, like, uh, whatchamacallit, material at the tip to create the reaction that they wanted. So the rods were literally causing the exact opposite reaction of how they were designed to react. So when they inserted the graphite tips, something called fission, okay, so that's F-I-S-S-I-O-N, fission, according to Google, is the action of dividing or splitting something into two or more parts. So the fission that was supposed to occur actually immediately increased as opposed to like sort of decreasing and almost de-escalating the situation, which caused a huge surge of power and the reactor's output spiked, which then caused a steam explosion. The steam explosion caused the reactor to open up and blow up and it blew up through the building ceiling. So within seconds, there was an uncontrolled reaction that caused the pressure to build up in the form of steam. The steam blasted the roof off of the reactor and it immediately started to release plumes of radiation and chunks of burning radioactive debris because again it's blowing up like the core of the reactor which is full of um whatchamacallit bad stuff yeah bad stuff we'll just call it bad stuff okay so basically it's admitting this it's admitting this radiation so two to three seconds after that a second explosion occurs and then like more fuel is now poured basically onto this fire but it's not just like a regular fire where you can just put it out because it's like radioactive fire. Right. So the problem was this started to cause a concern that reactor number three would also be at risk. So the issue was that they had turned off all of the emergency systems because they were trying to run tests and they didn't want people freaking out that there was something going on when they knew there was going to be some type of like emergency response sort of alarm. So basically it's like, you know, my teacher friends who are listening will know this. I don't know if they've ever done this back at like your office, but they'll like make an announcement that the fire alarm system is down because they're running tests. So they're basically running tests to make sure things react the way they want them to and they don't want to like have the alarm interfere and that's what happened with Chernobyl. They turned down all of the emergency response systems in order to run these safety tests and in response to that there was no actual emergency response to change the effects of the the malfunction test. Cool. Yeah. So this one guy, I had to write his name because it was so sick. His name was Vassal Vassal Mole. Okay. That sounds like a so, disease. It does. It does. He's, it's like, shit, man, I got vassal mole. And yeah, everyone's like, like no. I need to go to a dermatologist and get my vassal mole removed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So he describes it as, because he was there um, running the plant when it happened. He said, quote, it was a regular shutdown. When I ran out to the staircase to go down, I remember this moment surprisingly well. It was as if something stopped me, as if something inside me said, something bad is about to happen. My thought was maybe my equipment will not work and I will lose my bonus. Such a banal thought. Dot, dot, dot. 
So he essentially saw the chaos that ensues after the reactor number four is on fire and the roof is blown off of this. And we're going to start to see a huge response in terms of the firefighters and how the Soviets are going to respond and how the government's going to respond. Um, And I'll kind of get a little bit more into the step-by-step of that in a minute. Yeah, so we're going to take a fun break. So Casey walked through all the actual things that caused this to happen, which for something that's so like kind of eerie and sci-fi sounding are actually fairly boring routine reasons that it happened. Um, So I have found all the conspiracy theories about weird things that could have caused it to happen that are more interesting. Um, So I'm going to go through (laughs) some of those and then later I'll go through more in-depth conspiracy theories. But these are sort of like myths and urban legends surrounding Chernobyl and like what might have caused it. So one theory, probably the least like crazy on this list is there was allegedly an earthquake about 16 seconds before the explosion in that Hmm. area. So some people say, well, there was this seismic activity that could have contributed or caused it. However, the area itself doesn't actually have a lot of tectonic activity. It's not California or something where you expect earthquakes. So there is, of course, another theory that it was a test of man-made earthquakes. So I feel like that's such a shitty place. To, like, think about it, though. I'm thinking about it. Imagine being like, yeah, let's put a nuclear power plant where there's a lot of tectonic activity. Right, exactly. Like, that's well, terrible. Let's, let's test our man-made earthquake right next to our, like, perfect city and the power plant. Right. But it also seems to be like that would have been a miscalculation. But if that was the case, it worked. And I don't think we've ever seen a man-made earthquake since then. Yeah. I feel like they would have just been like, oh, we'll do it somewhere better next time. Not that we know of, at least. I, I guess that's true. I trust nothing now. After your Titanic exposure, I literally yeah. trust nothing. That's fair. So that's probably the most reasonable one on here. Um, There is, of course, a rumor that Chernobyl was an excuse to round up everybody who had to evacuate and send them into camps so they could be experimented on Mm. for exposure to radiation. So a lot of these theories have to do with the idea that the Soviet Union was trying to understand radiation as a weapon. Mm, Okay. And how they could use it against us or, you know, other like enemies in the future. And so in order to do that, this theory is they caused something that was a quote-unquote accident so that they had a bunch of people who'd been exposed to radiation and they could experiment on them and then just count them as casualties once they were done. Oh my god. There's absolutely no evidence for this. It's just something like people on 1986 Facebook thought. Yeah. But sure. Um, So that's one kind of malicious theory. There is, of course, aliens. Always. There are people who think aliens caused it. So there was UFO sightings in the days leading up to the event. And then there was actually during the event. So like that night of April 25th, there's multiple reports of people seeing quote unquote fiery balls of light, which sounds like radioactivity, but sure. Um, So they, they, they saw it before there were actual fiery balls of light. Yes. Yeah, so there was some reports okay. of general UFOs kind of that week. And then oh, okay. that night, people said they saw these like fiery balls of light. And then a couple months later, there was an additional leak as a result of some mm. damage. And they again said they saw those balls of light. But what's interesting is most of what I could find actually thinks that it was aliens containing the leak, not causing it. 
so that they oh. came to help us. Some dude out there said they reduced the radiation by 100%. I have no clue how he knows that. <laughs> but, if, but wait, if they had reduced it by 100%, no, no. there'd be no radiation. <laughs> I had, it's that weird thing where, like, if you double something, you increase it by 100%. So I think, I don't know. It, math is hard, too. <laughs> Yeah, I straight up, the second you said percentage, I was like, fuck, I do not know math. Basically, I am not a math person. Same. Basically, aliens came and some people are like, obviously they caused this, but the more prominent one seems to be they were helping contain the radiation for some reason. Okay. So well, maybe because they were like, these fucking humans come on in here and they're messing with stuff they don't understand. Right. So we, we need to like, make sure we got to contain the situation because, you know. The homo sapiens don't know what they're doing. Exactly. Um, so let's see. Now we're going to get into the real weird ones. These yes. Um, so. Because nothing's weirder than aliens. Right. <laughs> containing radiation. That's very like run of the mill conspiracy theory though. There was only yeah. aliens. If there's something I know less about than math and science, it's the Bible. And <laughs> <laughs> that was not what I thought you were going to say. I didn't have something that I thought you were going to say, but, but I, I just I, like. <laughs> yeah. I was raised as like a nice atheist Jew. I know nothing. But. <laughs> So there is a quote in Revelations. I literally wrote from the Bible, I guess. Um, So there's a quote in Revelations. And it says, And the third angel sounded the trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, burning as it were a torch. And it fell on the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now the Russian word for Wormwood is Chernobyl. No, it's not. Shut up. According Are you to, kidding me? According to the listicle I read, it is. Holy shit. And so, That's crazy. So they feel it's like predictive, right? The fires would be the torch that fell. The third trumpet is the accident itself. And the water became bitter from radiation. So obviously the Bible predicted Chernobyl in this. Oh my God, what? Maybe this was the beginning of end times. Like we all thought it was 2020, but actually the shit started in 1986. And what's interesting is, so there's a memorial nearby to some of the firefighters and people who died in the aftermath. Yes. And the statue is actually an angel with a trumpet. What? Kind of alluding to this biblical passage. That's crazy. Yeah. So it could have been predicted by the Bible. What is Wormwood? Like, is Wormwood a thing? I don't know. Honestly, I hear Wormwood and I think of Matilda. (laughs) See, I thought of Doctor Who. Like, I don't even know why. It's an herb. So this says a number of Bible scholars consider the term Wormwood to be a purely symbolic representation of the bitterness that will fill the earth during troubled times. Named for a plant. Yeah, it's named for a plant. It's a bitter herb known for being an ingredient in absinthe. Yeah, I think it basically means, like, bad times, which actually I'm now like, oh, is that why that's their name in Matilda? Oh, yeah. Because they suck. Yeah, because that's her. They do suck. They're, like, literally the worst people in the world. Right. Um, It's Matilda Wormwood, right? Yeah, her, like, birth family. Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman. Danny DeVito. (laughs) Danny DeVito, I love your work. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So then I have two other things that are kind of aftermath 
theories. Okay. Um, one is if you consider the timing of this, it was at the height of the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so some people afterwards would say there was a quote unquote Chernobyl HIV that basically it gave you some sort of similar disease that made it dangerous to interact with survivors. This was oh. pretty much just like a, a schoolyard taunt, societal bigot type thing. But I see because people because people were afraid of touching people with radiation. Exactly. And so it caused okay. a lot of like stigma. And I mean, there's absolutely no evidence that you pass on the radiation like that. Right. Touching somebody or breathing on them or whatever. But there was yeah. a period of time where people believed there was a Chernobyl HIV and it was like dangerous to go near anybody who had it. And that's what they called it. Because I think at the time they didn't fully understand HIV yet either. And yeah. so they were just like some contagious disease for like bad stuff. Oh, wow. So that went around. We're now, this is my favorite. I saved my favorite for last. Yes. So there's a legend <laughs> called Blackbird. And people say, I don't know who the people are, but they say that <laughs> the day of the accident, so early in the 25th, they saw a large humanoid creature with wings and red eyes wandering the plant. And it was reported that anyone who saw the creature that day later had nightmares and started receiving threatening phone calls. What? I Nobody was like, yo, how does this thing dial a phone if it has wings? But Maybe it was like a Russian secret operative who had like red goggles mm-hmm. and like, oh, wow. I mean, it's obvious. And like one of the quotes from some expert was like, it's difficult to track because it relies on the accounts of people who died due to radioactive contamination. And so basically anyone who saw it died of radioactive poisoning? A lot of them did, or they were exposed to radioactivity and people weren't sure, like, does that make you hallucinate? That sort of thing. Oh, okay. I kind of wondered, I don't know if you've seen this, like, freaky post that went around the internet, but there's these bats in a lot of Asia, I think, that are, like, human-sized. They're, like, these giant bats, and it looks fake, and then you Google it and it's real, and I'm like, maybe it was just one of those bats, I have to Google this now. Human. Yeah. What do I say? Human. Literally do human size that. And you will get a freaky picture. Oh, no. Yes. These aren't real. They are. I Googled it. These are not fucking real. Yes, they are. Sarah, what am I looking at? This is horrifying. Oh, my gosh. And oh my god, I'm gonna cry. I'm so if I saw that, I would also have nightmares. Oh my god. I'm really kind of crying. <laughs> I've never seen this before. It, it was on Facebook, and I was like, obviously, this is some like face face fake Facebook bullshit. Like Mark Zuckerberg's come for me, whatever. I mean, do you think they're nice? Um, most of them are vegetarians. Okay, so like I could give it like an apple and it would leave me alone. I wouldn't try, but I mean <laughs> I'm not going to seek these out, but no. wow. Yeah. Wow. So, I'm going to put this, we're going to, I'm putting a picture of one of these things on, oh, yeah. the, on Instagram. I have to. Oh, yeah. People need to see the truth of this. <laughs> they do. But so oh, my, my thought is maybe it was one of those and it just grew into this, like, and they had nightmares and they got creepy phone calls, but there's no way to really know, but maybe one of the blackbird bat things did it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I didn't even know they existed until right now, so... Yeah. I feel like I should have known they existed, but I guess I just didn't. Should you? Oh my have god, them? that's horrifying. Yeah. So. No, because now I'm not going to sleep. So. Right. So you're welcome for that. Those are some different like urban legends around Chernobyl. Yes, um, I love that, it. That I uh, enjoyed finding. Yeah, and you have some like le- like 
conspiracy theories i have more like political conspiracy theories like was russia behind it was the u.s behind it that sort of thing Mm. okay cool then actually then i definitely will talk a little bit about like the timeline and especially the one guy who kind of takes the fall for it yeah okay so April 26, 1986, uh, at 12.18 a.m., the power begins to drain from the reactor, and it starts to drop to a dangerous level, uh, which means that the control rods have to get removed, and that violates the safety guidelines, and people start to panic. Because, again, these are unqualified. Well, no, they're not unqualified. They're just, like, untrained. It's, like, basically putting the least trained people together to work a shift. Right. Sometimes in teaching, that looks like putting the kids who never do work together in a group. group yeah yeah because it's like they're either going to get their shit together or they're going to implode and it's like either way you're there to help them but like they're gonna it's gonna happen one way or the other and so that's kind of what burden like the one person who does their work who gets that group and it's gonna right everything yes exactly that's like that's you know that's like the joke behind it and most of the time it's because it's easier to contain the situation in a small group and know like okay this is the group i have to sit down and do work with yeah but sometimes it's like i wonder what would happen if i like, put these three people together knowing full well that it's going to be real like, and you only do it for like small things you know right. you don't do it for like a major assignment right. but but it's like will one of them take over or will they Correct. not do anything? Or will they just all fall? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's communist. So we have, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> that should be our other tagline. What's that? It's like, that's showbiz, baby. Yeah, but it's communism, that's baby. communism, baby. Okay, so. At 1 a.m., just like 40 minutes later, uh, the power settles. Supervisors continue with the test. They're like, oh, no, we're good. This is fine. At 1.23 a.m., the test is fully initiated, and it triggers a sudden surge of power. They're unable to control the reactor, the reaction, and so Reactor 4 is sent into a meltdown. Literally, like one minute later, f- a fireball rips through the 1,000-ton roof, and it rips it off in the process. And radiation begins to spew from the cracks in the walls, and fires start to take hold all around the reactor. I know that's bad, but it's cool. Oh, I can't imagine... I, I, did you see the HBO series on Chernobyl? No, but I want to watch it now because I think I'm obsessed with Chernobyl now. Okay, so you're going to need to watch it for me, like before me, because okay. I'm so bad with, like, I can't watch anything on HBO because it's all gory. Yeah. Like, I'm fine with the cursing and the sex and the intrigue and stuff, but, like, I cannot watch people be, like, ripped apart, which is why I couldn't watch Game of Thrones, but I could, like, read all the books because I didn't have to actually picture the Red Wedding. I That's could just, fair. like cry through it yeah but i i heard that the series was excellent and i know that there are some parts of this that are probably gruesome where people's faces are like pretty much falling off but so if you watch it let me know because i would be really fascinated to see how they did this now that i kind of understand the actual situation yeah i am planning to watch it now okay cool yes you'll have to tell me what parts i have to close my eyes like my other all of my teachers in high school were like all right fits close your eyes and i'd have to like close my eyes my grandma's really scared of like everything and so when we go to movies she always buys popcorn so she can hold it in front of her face oh my god that's so cute i love that yeah that's great i i pretty much do that with pillows like somebody could pull out a gun in like a tv show that's rated pg and i'm still in tears so (laughs) okay so four minutes after that at eight uh 128 a.m the cleanup begins so literally less than four minutes later 
first responders begin to arrive and they're totally unprotected and they are completely unaware of the radiation that is literally soaked in the atmosphere. So one of the big things I, I read about and I actually like saw happening because I did a couple documentaries on this as opposed to just readings because I feel like I was going to learn a little bit more about it if I was watching it as yeah. opposed to just reading about it. So the citizens were, how do I say this? A lot of the criticism that I was seeing for the Soviet Union was that their citizens were expendable, which makes a lot of sense if you look at the context of the Soviet Union, pretty much from its founding. So yeah. the Soviet Union exists. You've got Stalin, who is like asshole number one next to Hitler, who's also asshole number one next to Mussolini, who's also asshole number one. But he's asshole number one in a very different way in some ways. So he kind of makes it like a, a heroic thing to just throw yourself at a disaster and like human lives don't matter if it's in the name of the Soviet Union. So while that's like a heroic thought, really the criticism falls on the people in Chernobyl because they weren't even given any type of training for this. There was no protection offered to them. You literally have these firefighters who are arriving within minutes and they start to fight the blaze with no gear to protect them. Eyewitness accounts of the firefighters who were helping, they described the radiation as tasting like metal and they could feel pain like pins and needles on their faces. Ooh. Yeah. So they're fighting through this and like days later, so many of these firefighters are going to end up dead from the extreme radiation poisoning. So it wasn't until 5 a.m. a few hours later, the following or the following day, actually, it might have been 26th. On the it might have been the 26th, it might have even been the 27th, where they shut down Reactor 3 and then eventually Reactors 1 and 2. By 2.15 a.m., local officials order the shutdown of roads leading in and out of Priapet so that people are not getting further exposure to it. Police and law enforcement are like told to stand along the roads. Um, they're also unprotected and unaware of the situation and what's actually happening. Uh, at 6.35, dawn breaks and there's plumes of smoke that are rising from whatever fires they were able to extinguish. The the core are still the core is still on fire. Um, it's going to burn for several days. So by the afternoon of the 26th, the Soviet government mobilized troops to help fight the blaze. And what they started doing is they began dropping and shoveling de like debris. They sprayed water on the fires that they knew that would work in. But actually, what they started to do is they would drop sand, lead, and nitrogen onto the nuclear fire to contain it, and it basically like solidified it and it formed what's called the elephant's foot. Okay. So from everything that I was reading, the elephant's foot is, is slash was like the most radioactive like thing in the entire world huh. because of how much is contained by that, like that soil. But obviously it also wasn't going to work long-term. It was just like, here's a right. quick fix. Here's a bandaid for this gaping flesh wound yeah. <laughs> that we're going to, that we can see bone through that. Like we're going to have to figure this out. Um, but they were able to pretty much stop it from there. So on April 27th at 10 AM, they start to try to throw more sand, clay, lead, boron, dormite, all dropped onto the destroyed reactor, creating an even bigger mass. By 2 PM that day, they finally evacuate the town and they basically tell everybody this is temporary. We're going to create an exclusion zone that we're setting up. Grab what you need for a couple weeks. Don't panic. You'll be back. Mm. And they all never come back. It's at this point that people are kind of scrambling to just pick up everything that they can. There are some kids that are in school. Some kids are just coming home. You've got parents at work. So one of the eerie things that I saw was that people just literally picked up and left 
everything. Yeah. Um, you can see in some pictures, like laundry is still hanging outside to dry mm-hmm. and people were in the middle of cooking, you know, lunch or whatever. And just, that was it. People just picked up whatever they could for a few weeks and left. And it was super eerie because it's one of those moments in history that like you don't realize that it's the beginning of the end or the end has already come for something that you've understood. It literally reminds me of when I go, I mean, obviously it's much worse, but when I go into my office now and like everybody's (laughs) desk calendar is still on March and there's like cups of coffee that are set out because we all left on a Friday and thought we'd come back on Monday. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's not like Chernobyl level, but it's that same type of feeling of like you all left and didn't know something was going to happen and it's just sitting there as a relic. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. That's exactly what it's like. It's even kind of reminded me of like the Mayans who a lot of their like weird history was like, it literally looked like people were like making eggs and they just like dipped out. Mm -hmm. So it has the same sort of very eerie kind of still lived in feeling. Yeah. It's at this time that they pretty much board everybody onto these trucks or buses. Pets are not allowed to come. So Um, this was like devastating. I hated reading this, but, um, any dogs that were seen were shot on site by Soviet soldiers. I literally could, I, I, again, I say this every time when it comes to my dogs, but I don't know if there's anything that could literally drag me away from them. Like I'd be like, you know what? I'll just take radiation. (laughs) It's fine. Um, although some dogs did escape and now there are over 300 stray dogs that pretty much roam Chernobyl which I think is pretty cool. So they set up a town called uh, Slavutich. Slavutich. Okay. And so Slavutich is there to house people who had been moved. A lot of people actually were almost refusing to move. And so you actually do see a forced removal of most places, but a lot of, not a lot, but I would say some of the people who were forced to then leave villages in the surrounding areas actually ended up returning. Yeah, there's like and, 100 people or so live there today. Yeah, and I actually was watching a documentary too on the, I think it was called like the last, it's called The Last People of Chernobyl. Ooh. And it's all of these, it's in, I don't know what language is in. I imagine it's in Ukrainian, but... It also seemed like the guy who was hosting it was speaking like Polish or something, but he and a bunch of other dudes go in and they like offer supplies to people who are living in these exclusion zones. Uh, There was one woman who was like 90 years old and she's like, this is basically where I was born and this is basically where I'll die. Like she just wouldn't leave. Because it's technically, when I talk about like Chernobyl today, it's technically illegal to live there, but they basically Mm -hmm. gave up on forcing those people out. Out, but the deal is they don't get government services in exchange, right? You can't yeah. be like, um, I'm suing you because I got radiation poisoning. Like if you live there, yeah. you know what you're doing and we won't kick you out, but you're on your own. Exactly. Yeah. So the interesting part too, is that this was so hush hush mm-hmm. that like people didn't even really know why they were leaving. They were just like, Hey, the government says we have to leave. So we got to leave. Yeah. Um, and so there's really no outer detection of an issue until April 28th mm-hmm. when, and the reason why I brought up Belarus's proximity earlier was because the proximity of these countries with 
with Ukraine is going to have a huge impact on how the rest of the world finds out about what happened. So in Forsmark, Sweden, on April 28th, high levels of radiation begin to be detected. And the USSR basically now has to publicly acknowledge and admit that something went wrong. And so the Soviet officials falsely state that the situation is under control, that the situation will quote unquote come out as they see fit. They'll reveal information when they feel like it's necessary to, uh, and they aren't going to accept any sort of international aid because they're like, we got this. But April 29th, of course, the United States has NASA create some spy photographs. And so the truth behind the disaster is revealed and people start to like lose their shit. Yeah. Some other interesting things I thought were just the overall Soviet reaction to it. So on May 1st of that year, Kiev and Moscow and multiple other big cities throughout the Soviet Union were preparing for their May Day parade. And they basically were reacting like nothing was wrong. Uh, They were sort of just treating it as another holiday where they were celebrating the Russian worker and the pride of that work. Um, And in actuality, some of the higher up officials of the Soviet Union were evacuating their wives and children and family members. And there was just this, oh, sorry, I just like fell over. (laughs) There was just this like overall negligence for the people of Ukraine. And that's actually parallels. Yeah, right. Yeah, for real. Seriously. If you'd like those, please see our alternate episode where we just destroy what's happening right Right. Um, episode in 20 years when we talk about the 2020 disaster yes oh fuck that's so scary so they start to bring in over 600,000 liquidators to clean up the accident homes get bulldozed villages are completely destroyed radioactive radioactive soil gets buried uh any contaminated pets and livestock found were shot so on may 14th gorbachev officially addresses his nation so we're talking over two weeks after the disaster and he says that quote the worst is behind us but the really big issue with that is how much people no longer trusted him and how much people no longer trusted the government, which I think is very interesting because we're talking about a society that sort of always knew you can't really trust the government, but at the same time, wasn't really able to prove why you couldn't. Mm -hmm. And the Chernobyl disaster was what ultimately got them to be like, yeah, we can't trust the government. They literally wouldn't tell us that our children were running around on May Day for, you know, hours on end and there was like radiation in the air that could have potentially harmed them. But he also then starts to say that world leaders need to meet and he actually calls for a ban on nuclear testing. And I thought this was really fucked up. Gorbachev actually asks to meet with foreign leaders, including the United States, in Hiroshima, to discuss how nuclear testing should be banned. Sure. Which I was like, I literally wrote, are we kidding? What the fuck? (laughs) Because like, are you kidding me? What the fuck? That's absurd. But yeah, he also says later on in other interviews that this is the core breaking point for the Soviet Union. This is the beginning of the end. And overall, I think it's just interesting to kind of see that, you know, the Soviet, and you'll probably talk more about this too, but the Soviets knew that this shit wasn't safe and they... They knew a lot more about 
what could go wrong in the disaster. But ultimately, there's going to be kind of a scapegoat for that, which we'll talk about in a second. So 28, this is important too, 28 firefighters came like two to three minutes after the blast. They had no protection. Uh, I actually heard the 911. I don't know what it's called in Ukraine, so I'm just going to say 911. But I actually heard the 911 signal, like the call in one of the documentaries I watched, and it is chilling because the woman on the phone, yeah, well, the woman on the phone's like freaking out, rightfully so, but she's also trying to get as much information, and she's like, okay, we'll have a few men there. You know, how big is the fire? How many fires are there? Okay, no problem. You know, and she's like freaking out, but also it just seems very much like, oh, it's a fire, no big deal, and it's kind of one of those like hindsight is 2020 kind of things where you're just sitting there cringing because these poor men were literally most of them going to their deaths and their deaths would not be quick or pleasant. And not that I imagine any death is necessarily pleasant, but these folks are really going to struggle. So the one guy I like to talk about because his his wife has an interesting story too. His name is Vasily Ignatenko. So Vasily Ignatenko okay. uh, was born in Russia on March 13th, 1961. And he was 25 years old when he tended to the blaze with other firefighters at Chernobyl. He was always known to be determined to do his job no matter what the danger was. And so he went right for the building's roof, which is where like radiation was just pouring out of because yeah. everything was like moving upward. So this attempt to extinguish the open air graphite fires atop the roof is what gave him his lethal dose of radiation. So it took the firemen on site only a few hours to extinguish extinguish most of the blazes that night. Um, obviously, the core fire in the reactor was still not going to be put out for a few days, but the firefighters were able to pretty much contain the spread of the fires everywhere else really quickly. But about... Maybe within a couple days, uh, Ignatenko started to experience what would be signs of ARS or acute radiation syndrome. And so I did a little research on this. And again, I'm horrified. There's three different ways that ARS or acute radiation syndrome can present itself. The first is, I actually wrote this out phonetically because (laughs) I had to. It's like, if you saw this word, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? Hematopoietic. Hematopoietic? Yes, yes. Hematopoietic, which is um, this aspect of the syndrome is marked by a drop in the number of blood cells, which is then causing anemia. So this results in infections because of the low number of white blood cells, conventional trauma and burns resulting from a bomb blast are complicated by the wound healing, um, which is really poor. And then you have basically an increased mortality because your body is not able to fight off the infection easily. The second one is gastrointestinal. So the signs and symptoms of this uh, of radiation injury are nausea, vomiting, loss of appetite, and abdominal pain. That's cool because the next time I have a stomach ache, I'm going to be like, well, I have radiation poisoning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And we're talking like nonstop, extremely painful. And so in this time frame, usually like whole body exposures are in the fatal range and death is generally more due to infection, but the gastrointestinal dysfunction can also cause, it's basically in some cases they found that you could basically like throw up yourself to death, which is awful. And then the last one is neurovascular. So this typically occurs at absorbed doses greater than 30 grays. So it may occur at 10 grays. Again, I don't know what the fuck a gray is, but it's bad. Um, And it also presents with neurological symptoms, dizziness, headache, decreased level of consciousness. And then within a few minutes to hours, you have basically no chance of surviving that. Um, So his 
situation was pretty much like all of those things. Um, his body swelled so badly that they were unable to like clothe him properly. Um, yeah. So this is kind of where, when I watched the preview for HBO's Chernobyl, I saw like people's faces falling off and this was this guy. So he had a wife. God, here we go. Yudmila. I'm going to say that. I think that sounds good. Ludmila. She was seven months pregnant at the time. Um, and she was basically instructed to leave him alone. She could not be near him. And if she touched him, she would get radiation. So it's funny you said earlier that that's not like real because yeah. this is, oh, sorry, I just fell over again. So this <laughs> just like kind of a disaster. So Ludmila didn't want to leave her son, uh, her son, her husband's side. Yeah, it's very different, very different. And she refused to just like let him die alone. So she like held his hand and she pretty much just walked him die over the course of like two weeks and at the time she was seven months pregnant and then two months later she gave birth to a little girl then the baby dies yeah so this i thought was really interesting because you said like human contact but and i think it might have to do with the amount right like if i got a little Mm -hmm. like if i went to chernobyl now and got a little bit of radiation like i probably wouldn't pass it to you but yeah. if I like jumped into the fire, then I'm sure. Right, exactly. So I think that that there had to be some type of impact. Now, again, I don't know how good the healthcare in Ukraine in 1986 was that they couldn't tell. But, you know, this little girl that she was carrying had uh, congenital heart failure, basically. She only okay. lived for like four hours. And so her heart didn't fully format, like form. And so she, I mean, Ludmila definitely blames the radiation you know but she's like but at the same time I think I was reading something that said she didn't regret not leaving her husband Mm -hmm. but it was still like horrific to not only lose her husband and then two months later lose her daughter she said quote they couldn't get shoes on him because his feet had swelled up they had to cut up the formal wear too because they couldn't get it on him there wasn't a whole body to put it on damn which is so fucking scary. Yeah. So along with the 27 other firefighters who died, his body was still radioactive when he was buried. And so they had to bury him and the others in like zinc and concrete in order to protect the public and to like stop the risk of possible radiation exposure. Yeah. And so that was like our quote unquote hero. Um, The supposed villain of this story was named Anatoly Dyatlov. Is that or Dyatlov? That's not who Dyatlov Pass is named after, is it? They wouldn't name. Uh, they wouldn't name a pass after him. Probably not. And when was that named too? Because this I'll, guy was. I'll find out while you talk. Okay, so he basically was the front and center guy in the disaster. He was the deputy chief engineer in charge of Chernobyl's new uh, reactor number four. So when it exploded on the twenty sixth. The Soviet justice system basically blamed him for the horrifying incident. Uh, but according to Dietlov, he staunchly disagreed with this. He basically was like, no, 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 this was not my my fault. There were a lot of other things that kind of went into play. But it's also not so, after him. It's not. So I figured that's probably a common, not necessarily a common yeah. last name. It was but, in 1959 and one of the guys who died at Dialogue Pass was named that. I feel better. You may proceed. Okay, cool. So yeah, so maybe he was related to him. Who knows? But so this Dietlov, um, he was the highest ranking engineer that was present on site during the incident and Soviet authorities claimed that he failed to follow the most basic safety precautions that night. He was ordered by Moscow to perform an experiment that required him to make sure that things were safe. But Dietlov actually kind of comes out as saying, no, you know, the Moscow told me to do something knowing full well that the experiment in question was dangerous. And so he was just following the orders that was given by the Soviet officials above him. He, They claim that he didn't take enough precautions in it, but... 
he basically gets sort of the short end of the sick too, because he was a notorious asshole. Um, he he would often like bully the people who were working there. Um, he didn't have a great track record of making decisions, but he never made any major mistakes. Any mistakes that he made might have been like smaller. Um, he was actually imprisoned for ten years because of his involvement in it as like negligence. But he quotes he's quoted as saying, "I found myself confronted with a lie, a huge lie that was repeated over and over again by the leaders of our state and simple technicians alike. These shameless lies shattered me. I don't have the slightest doubt that the designers." of the reactor figured out the real cause of the accident right away, but then did everything to push the guilt onto the operators quote. So he sort of holds really strong to this idea that the developers of the reactor knew that it was not working properly and that it was super flawed. And so they didn't want to blame themselves. They wanted to blame somebody else. Right. If I, he, he was also quoted as saying, quote, if I had known then what I know now about what kind of monster this reactor was, I would never have gone to work at Chernobyl. And not only me, nobody would have worked there. I mean, yeah. Quote. Yeah, totally. There's so many things about him. So basically, yeah, I literally could do like another whole episode on him. He basically takes the blame for all of it. He's sentenced to 10 years in prison for it. And he ends up dying, actually, at the age of 64. He suffers from... He suffered from a lot of neurological issues afterward. In some cases, he could barely walk. Um, he could barely stand. He lost memory. Uh, and he had a lot of issues with the last, I guess, maybe like 10-ish years of his life. So he pretty much... I think he died in prison. Okay. Or they released him just before he died. But I don't really know if he is actually a bad guy. I think he might have just been a negligent douchebag who then also was a really easy scapegoat for what happened to Chernobyl. So those are hero slash villain. Sounds good. Let's see. So I will go into a couple of the larger conspiracy theories. And at first, I was kind of surprised that I was having trouble finding really specific conspiracy theories. Yeah. I guess it makes sense because there was so much secrecy around it. There's not necessarily like names and paper trails and things like that where you can go back and say, this person did this. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the conspiracy theories are a little vaguer. Um, And then there's one that's more specific. So there's, of course, a general, the U.S. did it. Um, Yeah, of course. (laughs) And that actually is primarily coming from after the HBO miniseries came out, Russia was really mad about it because the miniseries presents it as errors made by the Soviet Union and the workers there. Right. Um, And they didn't like that. So they announced that they were going to come out with a Russian miniseries about Chernobyl. And the central thesis and the central character is that somebody from the CIA was undercover at Chernobyl with the intention of sabotaging the project. So there's, there's no real evidence for this. No one has ever been found to be like a U.S. operative that was there. Right. It's one of the state's bigger narratives, right, is that there was some sort of sabotage happening from the U.S. So they don't ever really specify how or why. They just do a general, well, it made us look bad, so the U.S. did it. Especially Mm -hmm. because, like you said, it does kind of start the end of the Soviet Union. So they try and pin it on an enemy. And there are things like we know the CIA planted malware in the Soviet Union Mm -hmm. and did try and infiltrate some of their technology. So it it sort of stems from that. But there really is no evidence. It's just a general party line like, well, the U.S. did it. And they are planning to make some sort of reactionary miniseries 
about how the U.S. is at fault, which I would love to watch. Yeah, that just that's really fun. interesting. It's interesting, though, because it does – It, I mean, it doesn't seem like it is. It is like propaganda. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And especially, I think, with everything I could find being so vague, it wasn't like, we have this evidence, here is this person who was known to be in the Ukraine at the time, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. It's just like, it was probably someone from the U.S. That sounds right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um. Then the flip side is the rumor of KGB involvement. Mm. And the theory here is that the KGB, like one of their goals was to monopolize the energy market in Europe. Okay. They still today provide like the majority of energy in Europe in the, in like Russia and the Ukraine. Right. And they wanted to discourage other countries from building nuclear power plants. It was starting to become like a talk of a trend and that threatened their position. And so if nobody else built a nuclear power plant, they remained reliant on them. Okay. And this is sort of, you know, like fantastical, but if it's true, it basically worked. Most of Europe remains dependent on them today. So if that's what they were trying to do, then they did a good job of discouraging it. Um, And the other part of that is some people also think they were trying to gauge the potential of weaponizing the nuclear reactors. So like basically experimenting on their own people, seeing the citizens as expendable, like you said. But it more has to do with the political motivation of we don't want everybody to have nuclear power. So we're going to show that it's bad and dangerous. And that's why. Okay. So those are that the, makes sense. Those are kind of the general opposing. It was the US. No, it was the KGB. But then in 2015, a documentary came out. And this is what is sort of like the big conspiracy theory you find when you Google it first. It's more fleshed out than some of these other ones. It's a recent film from just a few years ago. And it's called The Russian Woodpecker. Um, hmm. The thesis of it is basically that the Soviet regime carried out Chernobyl on purpose as a cover up. So at the time of the explosion, there was a nearby missile defense radio structure called the Duga 3. And it was known as the Russian woodpecker because it sent out this like eerie pecking noise across the airwaves. So it was Mm. just like a repetitive tap, tap, tap. So that's why they called it a Russian woodpecker. Right. And it was built to investigate ways of like infiltrating enemy airwaves and things like that. And it Hmm. cost a ton of money. So it cost $7 billion rubes or rubies which is about 95 million dollars to build which is over twice what it cost to build the chernobyl power plant so they'd invested like a lot of money into this Mm. and at the point of 1986 it was way over budget and it was deemed a complete failure like it wasn't working it wasn't going to happen the way they wanted it to they had wasted this money if soviet officials had found that out they probably would have killed all the creators Mm -hmm. for it being such a flop that like was sort of known about and made them look bad and there was an inspection scheduled for sometime in 1986 Mm. that had not happened yet and so the theory of the filmmaker whose last name is alexandrovich alexandrovich Um, was that the people working on Duga 3, the higher-ups, in some way allowed the Chernobyl explosion to happen. Um, so they ordered the test to proceed, knowing the risks, basically. Okay. They, there had been some reporting of, like you said, this may not work, we're not 100% sure. And even though they had that knowledge, they like never stopped it. And basically... If Chernobyl blows up, no one's going to come look at us. And like, right. no and it's interesting because it's because it's like it's like what you just said. It's like Diet Lab was like, no, like they, I was told to do this. I was told right. to hold these experiments. So that kind of does line up to this thought of like, yeah, well, people knew it was dangerous, but they right. went ahead with it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And- 
you know, all the evidence is circumstantial. Again, there's no like documentation or even names that we can say this person worked for both because a lot of it was very secretive. But they did cease the the radio structure, the Duga. They stopped using it in 1989. So just a couple years later, it was abandoned and it just sits there today in the Chernobyl area. But so that's like the most in-depth conspiracy theory I could find that was it was actually a cover-up that a couple of higher-up people were like, well, they'll kill us if they figure out we screwed up so badly. So we'll let this radioactive structure blow up as a distraction. Wow. And so that's... That's so scary. Yeah. And so there is a documentary called The Russian Woodpecker from just a few years ago where this guy is sort of investigating this theory and some other basic Chernobyl information. But that was the most like common theory. That I sounds like a serial killer. Right. The Russian woodpecker. Russian woodpecker. Uh, yeah. I thought it sounded like a weird porn, but... Um, oh, it does sound like that, too. It could be either or. That's yeah. actually a fun game. That is. Serial killer or porn. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, the kind of <laughs> biggest conspiracy theory I could find is that. Um, and then there's general... Somebody was at fault. I mean, a lot of the like scientific stuff is not really refutable we know a lot of how it happened at this point and so it's mostly figuring out if somebody allowed it to happen or caused it to happen and what right. their political motivation would have been right yeah like to what extent did they allow it to happen exactly. and yeah i mean that's a big part of it i think too like and that kind of leads into like just this last bit of understanding the aftermath of it you know i think just there were no real ways to look at the direct effects of Chernobyl other than the 32 men who died, both two of whom were working at the plant and then the 28 who were, um, the, yeah, however many, the few, I think it maybe it was like 31 even that died as a result of just acute radiation, like poisoning. Yeah. Um, and the thing is like a lot of the Chernobyl survivors, you know, some of them had some serious, serious effects and some people were not affected at all. Right. Which I thought was kind of weird and, and like eerie because, you know, you see some cases of people who had experienced major birth defects because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you have a lot of cases. The thing I kept seeing the most was, um, thyroid cancer. Yep. Um, that kept coming up for me in my research too. So like seeing people who were diagnosed with thyroid cancer in years following, and there was really only a handful of them that were able to be like, yeah, this is because of your exposure to radiation. Right. Well, and that's, we have kind of the image, yeah. like one of the things I saw a lot when I was looking up urban legends was the idea of like deers with three eyes and dogs with mm-hmm. two heads and these kind of like eerie fantastical mutations and that's not really anything that's ever been found it's the animals that live in the area that i'll talk about in a bit they have smaller brains they're more likely to get cataracts and tumors they're more likely to be sterile but they don't have these visible mutations that we can say like something very fucked up happened because you shouldn't have two heads it's like you have cataracts which could technically happen to anybody Mm-hmm. But it's just more likely yeah. to have happened in this area because of the radiation. So it's hard to say. It's like what we picture is someone's face falling off and all that. Right. And I think it, that did happen for people who were exposed in that immediate sense. But oh, like, absolutely. 
the people who, you know, lived there and were evacuated and, and even the people in surrounding areas, that's the thing. This, um, this extended to like whales, like radiation was detected in literally dozens of European nations. And, um, you know, people were panicking about that. And, and the immediate like effects of this was just trying to calm people down and like to have the Soviet Union be like, no, it's actually okay. And then also not really be able to say that it is okay. But the cloud carried over Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, Scandinavia. Um, you have it, like I said, it reaches the United Kingdom and Wales. It goes mm-hmm. through to Sweden. So any type of change in that atmosphere was basically ignored by the Soviet Union. And that's actually, and I think that's why Gorbachev says this is the beginning of the end. It's not even so much as like the might of the Soviet Union in nuclear power. It's more like we fucked up and now the entire world knows we fucked up and we can't even hide the fact that we fucked up because it's literally like detectable radiation. Um, so a couple interesting things just to sort of wrap up my segment was the creation of the Chernobyl sarcophagus. And I've always liked and hated that word because it scares me. Um, so it took place over about 206 days. Crews created a steel and cement sarcophagus to entomb the damaged reactor and contain any further release of radiation. Um, and so that lasted probably, I think up until, it said, let me see. It didn't, it, it, it started to deteriorate pretty quickly because of the amount of radiation. Um, but then there was an international consortium in 2010 that started organizing the building of a bigger and more secure sarcophagus because it pretty much was starting to fall apart the second it was finished. Um, and so they called it the new safe confinement and it was built on tracks and then slid over the damaged reactor in November of 2016. So it was 35,000 tons and it was built of all different types of materials, specifically cement. Uh, and it's supposed to contain the radioactive debris for a hundred years and at the time that it was installed, it was the largest man-made movable object in history, That's which cool. I thought was really cool. Which is also kind of cool, too, that we talked about the Titanic being the largest movable man-made oh, thing yeah. in history. And then the Chernobyl, like, second sarcophagus actually ended up being, as of now, the most um, enormous thing that they've ever made. Welcome to our podcast, the largest mo- movable man-made things in history. Yes. <laughs> It's actually awesome. I love that. Um, and then I think, do you have stuff about the exclusion zone? I don't know. Yeah, so I have like okay. a Chernobyl today section. So oh, perfect. like right now, so Chernobyl still sits in what's known as that exclusion zone that they set up in the immediate aftermath. And you said they kind of told them, yeah, you can come back in a couple weeks. This zone still exists. It's actually been expanded. So it was originally only like a 30 kilometer radius. And it's more than doubled, I believe. And the purpose of the zone is three things. So the main one is to restrict access to the hazardous areas because there is still a level of radiation in just this exclusion zone. So you're restricting that. They're also trying to reduce the spread of the contamination by keeping it in the zone. And then also they use it to conduct radiological and ecological monitoring. So it's actually this kind of cool natural lab where it would never be ethical to create these conditions to study them but Mm -hmm. we have this natural thing that sits there with this such high radiation that it's kind of cool for scientists to be able to go and see what's happening yeah 
And so, like I said earlier, it's technically illegal to live there. It's expected to remain uninhabitable by humans for at least 3,000 years. Uh, the initial wow. estimate, so initially that estimate was based on a bunch of science mumbo jumbo. So like the half lives of the most dangerous elements that were released, mm -hmm. if you did it out, it was about 3000 years. But over time, it's become clear that the half life is much longer than we thought. Okay. So it's probably going to be more than 3000 years before a human could safely live there. Yeah. I think it's some, I was reading somewhere it was closer to like 24,000 years yeah. until it's safe for humans. Yeah. It could be that long. And so, like we said, there's a number of people probably in the like one or two hundreds who do inhabit the area against the law. They basically have at this point been allowed to stay there as long as they don't seek government support. And it's almost at this point all elderly people. So this population continues to decrease over time. No one is yeah. moving there. It's people who wanted to go home. So I have a quote from one of the estimated 160 people who returned to the zone. And she said, my husband had wanted to come back to his homeland all his life. He came back when it was all closed here, when it was prohibited to come. He crossed through barbed wire. We decided to save the history of Chernobyl. We hope that the people will come back here and will live here and that their children and grandchildren will see what our life was like here. So it really is just about this is where we lived. And I mean, it's probably a little naive. Your children probably can't come back. Um, right. Yeah. Some people just refusing to leave their area. It's funny because oh, it's not funny. I mean, it's <laughs> fucked up. But I was <laughs> I say that because it's not. But I, I think about how. Even just when I was watching the other night, the documentary of the people, all elderly people who live there still, they pretty much refused to leave the only home that their families had right. for generations, like literally generations, exactly. probably before you even have like, I mean, way before the Russian revolution and Russia always had a major control over Ukraine. And I think that's why mm -hmm. there was such a mistrust for Russia in the it, just in general, especially yeah. by the Ukrainians. Some of the things I was seeing too, Ukrainians typically will have a lot of dark humor about Chernobyl. Mm -hmm. Like um, they joke, like if they find, if like a huge vegetable grows somewhere, like at the market, they're like, Oh, it's Chernobyl. And I'm like, Funny. that's my kind of people. Yeah. yeah. Like I would do the same shit. So I think that it's, it's sad in a way, but also I kind of wonder you know, do these people have medical issues because of it? Right. Like how, how, not that how dangerous is it, but how dangerous is it? Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's certain things because they like basically opt out of support. We don't know as much because I believe that even to this day, like the descendants of Chernobyl victims get free health care and like they do. benefits for it. And yes, I saw the same thing. Yeah. There were initial housing benefits and things like that. And so they've opted out of all that. So I think we lose some of the reporting because they're more or less living off the grid. Right. But even though only those handful of people live there, there are about 3,500 workers in the area on a daily basis. So they're coming in to monitor the radiation, to continue cleanup and maintenance, and to do scientific experiments, basically. Wow. In addition to those workers, there is also a tourist industry. So yes, you can go on I saw this. tour of Chernobyl, which I kind of want to do. Yeah, oh. it's called dark tourism. Yeah, and it's the radiation exposure at this point is low enough to be considered safe when you're there for like an hour or two. Um, but they do test your radiation as you enter and exit. Holy shit. As a monitoring mechanism to basically know like, hey, how safe is this? Um, right. And so it's like different tour buses and things go in. There's also a good amount of illegal activity that happens in the zone. 
Um, mm. So there's young people known as stalkers that often enter illegally to take basically Instagram pictures. I've written this would be me. So like stalker, like with an LK or stalker, like I'm stalking a stockyard. With an LK. <laughs> okay. And yeah, it's, they just go in and take pictures, I guess. Um, and those are kind of the more wow. harmless ones. There are yeah. also people who enter to poach animals as well as to like steal metal scraps and steal abandoned items from the homes that are still there. Um, but why would you, I guess to sell them, I guess. Yeah. To sell them. What the fuck could you possibly find in 1986 Soviet-controlled Ukraine that you're like, this is really useful in 2020? Yeah, I don't know if it's like, here's Chernobyl souvenirs, or it's... Like a shoe? Yeah. Stealing the metal (laughs) makes more sense to me, at least, because you can sell the scraps and things like that. Why do people steal animals? So they poach animals, they kill them? Yeah. Okay. Um, Like hunting. Like, I'm going hunting in Chernobyl for a three-eyed deer or some bullshit. Exactly. Okay. And so while we're talking about animals, this is probably one of the like weirdest, best, worst things is that yeah. in the time since no humans have lived in Chernobyl, wildlife has pretty much thrived there. And so there mm-hmm. are some, like I mentioned, they're more likely to be sterile, to have cataracts, cancer, things like that. But right. basically, they live better in this highly radioactive area than they do in an area where humans are, which is a cool thing to know. Yeah. Um, It's basically a sanctuary for animals at this point, um, which is one of the reasons it's like a good ecological study is that it's untouched by humans for X amount of years. Yeah. Um, You mentioned this earlier, but I thought it was interesting. So dogs are a large part of that part of that population. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of it is a group of stray dogs that are believed to be from the animals that were abandoned during um, evacuation. Right. There's more, there's about a thousand dogs in the whole area, including. Some oh, stuff. wow. So it includes stray dogs, some dogs that are there for exper like not experimentation, evaluation, things okay. like that. Um, but the lifespan of a dog in the area mm-hmm. is only four years. Oh, what's interesting is you think, oh, they all die of like radiation. It's not, it's because it's so cold. Most of them die because of the weather. Oh, it's, no. It's just not a good place for stray dogs. So it's uh, not. I'd rather them die from radiation, I guess, because, like, in my head, it, because they're dying from being cold, it's, it's because sucker. there's no, yeah, there's no, like, humans to keep them warm. There are some organizations that will go capture the dogs and, like, vaccinate them. They do test, you know, their radiation levels and they'll release them with special collars that help map radiation in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're using the dogs c- to help with this scientific research, and you can adopt some of them. So there are uh, abilities to adopt these Chernobyl dogs, and it literally said once they're cleansed of radioactive dust. So, so that was going to be my question: like, can you clean a dog off and be like, "It's good now"? I guess they do. Wow. And so I would probably yeah. name my dog something like Madame Curie. Yes. Like something. Yes. <laughs> like, I love it. That's so fucked up, no, right? I Didn't you it. discover radium? I think so, yeah. Right? Yeah, I would 100% do that. Yes, I love it. They're going to do a new, I think, TV show on her, too. Ooh, yeah, I'm into that. Maybe she could be our next badass babe. Yes. <laughs> I'll put her on the list Perfect. if she's not already. I think she is, but we'll check. The other kind of interesting thing to study about animals there is there's some biological differences that are basically evolutionary. So frogs that live within the zone are darker than those that don't. 
Hmm. which they believe is a protection against radiation, right? Darker skin prevents it from, or not skin, scales, whatever you want to call it, prevents some of the penetration. And so it seems to be like an evolutionary response of the animals in the zone. So over like 30 years, there's been some evolution. Well, yeah, because if you think about the lifespan of a frog in that time, there's a lot of fucking frogs. Like, it's not like a frog lives for 30 years. Exactly. And so there's some things like that. So again... It's like a really creepy, eerie, fucked up place, but it's actually yeah. a really cool, like, scientific playground, basically. Of yeah. something you can't recreate to see what happens. Right, because there's no way to do it in a safe, exactly. controlled, or, like, just non... What's the word I'm looking for? Like an unethical... Humane. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like... Yeah, exactly. It's unethical to try to recreate something like that. Right. Yeah. And so a couple other things um uh, they actually have built a nearby power plant generating clean power which is both tactical right clean power is good and something most countries are interested in but it was also seen as sort of a symbolic gesture is that the solar one i believe so okay yeah i think i i think i saw something about that and i i didn't go too much into it but yeah that's really cool yeah i just saw it was kind of seen as a symbol of like trying to do better Right, exactly, exactly. And and then actually in April of 2020, so just this year, a series of wildfires broke out in the Chernobyl exclusion zone. um, And they lasted about two weeks before they were fully extinguished. Um, Oh, my God. But it actually turned out to be arson. So somebody was arrested. And I tried really hard to figure out, like, why he did this. I felt like there had to be some political motivation. Like, my grandparents lived here. I don't know. Literally, Mm -hmm. it seems to be no reason this guy was just bored and, like, lit some fires at Chernobyl. Jeez. Which, um, I mean, shutdown hadn't even been, well, we'd been shut down for, like, a month. The guy was already setting fucking fires to Chernobyl. Like, okay, buddy, get a fucking hobby. Exactly. And the fires were bad enough that 30% of the tourist areas were destroyed. Oh. Um, Some of the little villages that were in the area burned down completely, so are now gone. And, a dick. and of course, because fire, um, radiation was up about 16%. In the oh, aftermath. yeah. What the fuck is wrong with people, man? Yeah, so that's kind of the most recent news, but it basically stands as this weird relic you can go look at. You can go see, like, an abandoned Ferris wheel and creepy stuff like that, as well as just a playground for scientists who still use it. I mean, it's going to be thousands and thousands of years before it is even slightly back to normal. Yeah. Um, and so that's Who knows where we'll even be as a society by exactly. then. Exactly. And so that's that's where Chernobyl's at today. But once we're allowed in other countries, we can go visit it. That's cool. All right. It's on my list. Definitely. Yes. I don't know. Is there any is there something fucked up about dark tourism? Do you think? I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it's fucked up that I think it would be cool to go see Chernobyl. Like that yeah. in itself. Like, oh, this site of a terrible thing. I want to go look at it. See, I think to me, maybe because this is just my, like, history weirdo kind of thing, but, like, when I went to Berlin, I really loved being in the eastern part of Berlin because it was, like, so fucking different. And it just was so interesting to see, like, a glimpse of history and time and how the Soviets just developed East Berlin to be so different from West Berlin. And I feel like it would just be a really cool way to see time frozen and to see how people actually lived in the USSR. Like, I think that would just be 
a really cool experience. I mean, aside from the fact that it's a nuclear, nuclear disaster site, like I think that alone would be really, really fascinating. It's I'm sure there's some level of it's like exploiting the dead or whatever, because I know there's people I've seen who say like, you shouldn't be able to visit like concentration camps and stuff like that. Yeah. I think it partially just has to do with like who's going there and why, like if you're going there, cause you're like, I want to take a picture and like the gas shower, that's bad. Don't do Did that. you ever see there was this movement, this artist took so there's this memorial in Berlin actually of the Holocaust, and mm-hmm. it's like these giant cement blocks that are all different sizes and shapes and heights, and like it it, it expands over like almost an entire block, I think. And people like take like like funny pictures or like yeah. they're like lounging on top of the blocks and stuff. And an artist took those people and took their pictures and put them in the context of a concentration camp. So he like oh. imposed their picture in like outfits or something. And uh-huh. he basically like would post them and he'd be like, okay, like, you know, email me and let me know why I, sh- why you feel like an asshole from doing this and I'll take the picture down. And, it was just like a basic way of saying, you know, you're not looking at history the way that you should be. This is something to be learned from, not something to be, you know, to see how many likes you can get on it. Yeah. So I think it's all how you develop or it's all how you visit Chernobyl, like what attitude and mindset you're going into it with. Right. Like the element. And I mean, I have an element of me and I'm like, that sounds kind of cool. And that's the fucking part. Like Mm -hmm. certainly in myself, that is the screwed up part is that it seems like a little bit, cool but there are valid reasons to do it all right i mean that's chernobyl folks yeah that's chernobyl i'm uh, gonna go watch the hbo series because now i'm like fascinated by it yeah definitely absolutely and listen and seriously if there's anything that we covered that was inaccurate or just poorly explained please 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 reach out to us at wt history uh, podcast at gmail.com because I am always interested in learning and maybe you could explain radiation better to me and Sarah. Unless it's about <laughs> the aliens, I actually won't be. Got it. Okay, so the only thing you can't criticize us about is the alien yes. things. Other than that, we're open. Everything else is game. That's yep. that's the whole point of this. We're learning, you're learning, and uh, you know we're just finding some weird, gruesome shit to learn about. Cool. Alright. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WT History Pod. You're also welcome to email us at whatthehistorypodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.